You're listening to LawPod UK. It's a podcast that covers developments across all aspects of civil and public law in the United Kingdom. All the comments are current at the time of podcast publication. It's brought to you by the barristers at One Crown Office Row. And this edition is presented by Rosalind English. Universities, student mobility and citizenship. How do they relate to each other and what does it mean to be a citizen of the European Union? These are big questions and ones that lie at the heart of a book by Cherry James, Senior Lecturer at London Southbank University. Cherry is the Erasmus Coordinator in the Law Division at the University. Several years ago, she set out to discover what contribution the Erasmus programme has in fact made to EU citizenship by interviewing dozens of students about their experience of accommodation, teaching, language barriers, transport and so on. Her analysis of their responses has shown up some surprising results. Cherry, can you lay the ground by reminding us what the Erasmus system is? The Erasmus programme now encompasses several strands, but probably its best known strand is that which facilitates student mobility of a particular type. And that is where students from one country can go to study for a semester or a year in a university in another EU country. And the programme was first set up in 1987 as part of the People's Europe programme, which developed out of the Adenino Committee, which was set up to establish various initiatives which would help to found a European identity. Since 1987, it has grown enormously. Now, I'm actually not being entirely accurate when I say that the students come all from universities in EU countries, because in fact, the programme does encompass as well EEA countries, European Economic Area countries, and also candidate countries, which are candidates for membership of the EU. But it is essentially an EU-funded project. And the great thing about it is that, apart from there being an actual structure within which these students can move, there is funding for it. And so students actually get a grant, non-means-tested, to facilitate their stay in another country. So the great thing about this is that the student mobility becomes possible for a wider range of students than would otherwise be the case. And this obviously is of benefit to all. Why is it that the European Union chose universities, the university, the public space of the university, as a cradle of citizenship? That is a very interesting question. And I think that the answer is really probably based on the approach of the nation-state traditionally to the university. Now, universities hundreds of years ago went, really very many of them, were largely ecclesiastical institutions and um, largely for the training of, of clerics. Particularly in the 19th century, there was a notable change of focus. Now, the 19th century is, of course, also notable particularly for the establishment of the nation-state 
in Europe. I mean, you know, we think of Italy, we think of, of Germany and of uh, you know, other, other countries as well. And during that time, um, or shortly after the, those, you know, the, the various countries were actually established as nation states as such, there was very much a focus on um, the development of citizens who, of these new nation states who could take leading roles um, and help in the development of the new countries. And it was um, conceived that, these, that the, perhaps the best place for this to occur was in universities. So it was thought by the, during the, the 1980s and at the period really of Eurosclerosis, that there needed to be various initiatives to make people identify more with what it meant to be European, and also, for that matter, that there needed to be a push to make sure that Europeans were educated um, in an appropriate way, ready for the, the 21st century. Because I think it is probably fair to say that it has always been um, the case that the right of free movement underpins the idea that it is something to be encouraged amongst, um, amongst youth to go and find out what life is like in another country. Of course, that is a very honourable motive, and um, who could criticise that idea? But you raise in your book the whole issue of language, and you suggest that there's a certain, shall we say, schizophrenia at the European Union level yes. about English and European languages and minority languages. How does the language barrier problem play out in this theme? That's a very interesting question, and it is one to which there really isn't, um, I think the EU would think there is not a satisfactory answer as yet. To be perfectly honest, whilst I think you know, the Erasmus Student Mobility Scheme is a great scheme, I think perhaps the most, this seems a bit rude, but to say naive aspect of it, if you look at the material that the um, EU promulgates to promote it, is that which sometimes suggests that you could actually go off and study in a different language. It is completely unrealistic in the case of somebody who is studying, for example, psychology and has not done any languages since they did their French GCSE or whatever and may think that actually going off to Budapest is um, a nice way to spend a few months. I mean, they'd be quite right to, to do so. And there are some excellent psychology courses in, in Hungary. The material, the marketing material, promotional material for the Erasmus programme gives the idea or gives you the idea that you could possibly, by doing one of the intensive language courses, which as an Erasmus student you're entitled to do and you can do for a few weeks before you go abroad, would actually make it possible for you to study your psychology course, for example, in Hungarian, which is, you know, frankly, um, any student will say is just completely unrealistic. So... It seems to me from your researches that whilst the Erasmus programme has been successful, it's been successful 
for the reasons that the EU Commission didn't have in mind, as in it's promoting English and it's promoting the idea of a global citizen rather than a multiplicity of European languages and the idea of a European citizen. Is that correct? I think certainly in terms of the communication which is facilitated, you're absolutely right. Students, they want to communicate with each other and... uh, as in most human societies, you will they will default to the one which works the best. The linguistic domination of, let's face it, the EU's most awkward member and the member which uh, is likely not to be a member at some indeterminate date in the future is perhaps an uncomfortable one for um, for, for for the commission. Yeah. I just wanted to take you into the uh, broader question of, you know, let's face it, the crisis going on in universities across the world, not just in Europe. Um, Mm -hmm. You talk about universities as a public space for critical thought uh, on the one hand and the increasing marketisation of what goes on in universities. How does this relate to your subject? Probably one needs to see this in the context, again, of the widening participation agenda, which you can legitimately see as um, perhaps a democratisation of the opportunities offered by universities. But if you are the first person in your family to go to university, and really, certainly in the UK, that is the case with a lot of people in the UK today. If you are faced with the possibility of having to take out a very significant uh, loan to fund your studies, it is not surprising that the focus is on very much on degrees that can be seen to lead to an obvious uh, professional job. But there is a concern, and this is certainly not limited to the UK, but is something um, that can be seen certainly all over Europe, that some of the degrees may be very, very narrowly focused and may perhaps not lead to the sort of breadth of critical thought, which it is thought is seminal to the development of a citizen with their eyes on a variety of different possibilities of what they may do with their life rather than thinking of a specific job. And going back to the Erasmus programme, I should say that one of the strands right back in the 1980s when the programme was first being developed was awareness of something which is still talked about today in the EU context, and that is the democratic deficit. And it was very much thought that it was really necessary to try to cultivate a European identity, which would then develop a European polity. And with the advent of the concept of EU citizenship um, in the Maastricht Treaty of uh, 1992, there was a very much a sort of convergence of, uh, of these ideas. So back in the early days of the Erasmus programme, there were a number of different ideas which you see given prominence at different times by really depending to some extent on who the EU commissioner, relevant EU commissioner at the time was, on the development of skills which would be useful in the 21st century European and global economy, 
the development of a citizen, initially just a student and then really a citizen who conceived of themselves as European and was willing to avail themselves of that central right of free movement and perhaps move and work in different EU countries and a citizen who was an articulate citizen, one who could communicate and one who, if they're articulate, frankly, could analyse and be critical. LawPod UK is presented by Rosalind English and is produced by One Crown Office Row. For more editions of LawPod UK, you can subscribe to the podcast and recommend us to a friend.